Sometimes it's important to just blend in and go back to our roots because I think we were all ravers, you know, at some point. This is the Telecom Electronic Beats podcast, the podcast for music, culture, and the new now. Hello and welcome to Amelie Lenz, Stuart McMillan and Order Michael. Stuart and Order, better known as Slam. So this set up for me a roundtable interview with a virtual table. Um, we are meeting through the internet. Do you guys remember when you uh, met in person for the very first time, the three of you? Yeah, it was, um, Amelie came to play at um, our monthly residency then in Glasgow, uh, Pressure Nights. Uh, she yes. came... And uh, that was the that was the very first time that we met. But it was a I remember her coming, and it was like uh, at this point she she was on the rise of coming up as a as a DJ, and uh, she made an amazing set. And you know, and like afterwards, everybody was like, "Who's who's this person? Who's this person?" You know, there was like uh, <laughs> loads of really great feedback from the night, and yeah. But maybe, but it's possible we could have we could have met earlier than that. <laughs> no, 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 we didn't. <laughs> she no, made no, a no, big bang. Uh, listen, this, this is this is uh, one of the most common common things people say to me when I'm traveling. Uh, actually, we've uh, met before, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, have we? <laughs> uh, I have this all the time too. I'm always introducing myself to everyone, and people are like, yeah. We met yeah. five times. Ah, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amelie, do you remember your first musical encounter with Slam? What was your first time you ever saw a Slam record or were, um, yeah, saw those guys maybe as a DJ? The first time that I actually saw them play was um, when I played the event only, I think. Um, yeah. But for sure, like Soma is one still today, one of my favorite labels ever. Um, so like the label was always like in my life when like for my first sets, there was, I think if you check my very first set, there was always Soma tracks in it. Always. It's also like the only, um, like when I check my promos, I don't have time. I first check always for Soma. <laughs> And it was always like this since the very, very beginning. So Yeah. Um, I'm not going to leave you uh, out, uh, dear Slam guys. I'm just going to ask Amelie a couple more questions. Um, you had your techno awakening around 2006. That's what I read at a festival. Um, can you recap that moment, that feeling mm -hmm. when maybe the baseline or the kick hit you? <laughs> well, um, it was super strange because I went to the festival, but back then I was not super into music, maybe in general. You know, I went to the festival to have fun with my friends. I didn't really, I was not really like uh, into specifically any kind of music yet. I think I didn't find my sound yet. And so I entered this tent, which was like a techno tent. Um, and it was so dark and there was this super loopy music happening. I was 15. I just entered this tent and I was like, what is this? Like everybody was just, you know, like in their own world vibing to this music and it was just so loopy and so dark. And I was like, what is it? And I just stayed in the tent all by myself for the whole night. Um, and I didn't even understand what a DJ was and I didn't understand the concepts. Like I just thought it's a DJ. I didn't really think it, a, a DJ has um, their own sounds. 
So I didn't even care really who was playing, you know, because I didn't understand. I could be fan of the artists, you know, of the DJ playing. So I even have no idea who I saw playing back then, because in this moment, I didn't realize how important, you know, um, that is the concept of being a DJ. So when I came home, I was really um, like a whole world opened for me. And I was um, just really diving so deep into um, electronic music, it, like techno and minimal and even some house. And for me, it was really like life changing this day in this stands. Um, and shortly after I went to see like boys noise, um, all by myself, I took the train for two hours. Um, I couldn't get in because I was like 15 or 16 and I had to, but back then you had my space. So I could just reach, um, <laughs> the artist and I just messaged them like, Hey, I'm 15 years old. I'm not allowed in the club, but please, I just want to hear your set. Can you put me on the guest list? Or I used to message the resident artists and they always found a way to uh, let me in um, at the parties. That's that's really, uh, really smart of you using the MySpace my to, to get to the artist and ask uh, for a guest list. And it's also quite uh, quite bold. Uh, when I was 15, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't that bold to ask someone to uh, get me on a guest list. So I just really wanted to. Yeah to go it was my only way to go <laughs> okay um Stuart in order um your awakening for electronic music goes back to the 80s I would say and you named yourself after the track slam by future and just to loop all the listeners in future was an acid house trio uh, with no other than DJ Pierre um when was the first time you heard about Amelie like uh, this rising star on on and techno um, in the techno universe I mean all of the sudden it seems she was there <laughs> so how did you get the message there is someone new uh, well I think for us we're always um, and it probably stems back to the first time that we heard those early acid house tracks uh, you know having that thirst for finding new and exciting sounds that's always been a, a part of what we do like um, both as artists and as, as DJs and as uh, label owners. It's part of our ethos for, you know, electronic music. And, you know, even with Slam Radio, it's all about discovering new artists and keeping your, you know, finger on the pulse and having that radar open to discover new and exciting people. And uh, naturally, uh, you know, Amelie came onto our radar just through that process. You know, it's it, it, it's kind of... Uh, our we make it our mission to 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 have that you know that partly just that's a natural thing for us as well because it just comes through um just being quite passionate about the music actually and 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 you know having you know excitement for discovering you think i mean it's what keeps everything moving on it's what keeps us excited it's what keeps us inspired And I heard, I knew that she was like a resident in, well, I can't remember the name of the club now, Emily, but I knew that you were a Labyrinth. resident in, uh, in, in, in Belgium, uh, one of the clubs in Belgium. So that was the first time I'd heard, uh, um, saw and heard Emily's name. But that was like a little bit before she was touring and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned your slam radio. Uh, I had a click through the almost 500 episodes. You started like yeah. uh, nine years ago, approximately. And I was amazed because, yes, you, you do have a very good eye for um, for like underground 
people or up and coming artists. I saw you had Jamaica Sook already in 2015. Yeah. Um, and she is like now, I guess, a, a Uh, yeah, someone here, especially in Berlin with Ponceptual. Um, but n not a lot of people know about the artist you already had on your show. So yeah. um, that was quite impressive. Um, how did you find the time for that? I mean, you're also producing and touring and all, all, all that. It, <laughs> it just comes with like <laughs> not having much time for anything else. <laughs> you know, I, th I think it's like... Um, You know, somehow, you, you, you know, your life is uh, con completely consumed by by electronic music and techno and you, 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 you I said, I don't know, it just, I guess it's like, it, 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 you know, it's just something that, that is all somehow connected with the label, with the DJing and with, um, you know, uh, with all that kind of stuff. It's something that, that, that kind of just all works in tandem. You know, to be fair with the radio, it's usually, um, you know, if you, you come across someone's music, you know, whether it be a promo or a track you hear, um, that's kind of, you, you know, if it's something you really like, that name kind of sticks in your head and then you, you kind of go looking um, for a contact. Uh, we also have a producer in Berlin for the show called Connor Dalton, mm -hmm. who's a mastering engineer at Calyx. So he's doing uh, quite a lot of um, mastering for underground techno labels and um, he's very much got his finger on the pulse as well. Mm -hmm. So between the, the kind of three of us, you know, names are always put forward and we have a kind of hit list and, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, hit them up and ask them. I, th I think, to be fair, it's got easier recently um, because a lot of people kind of know the show and you actually get people getting in touch um, to want to do Uh, a kind of mix so it's got slightly easier but um yeah you're, you're you're always juggling and you know some people don't like their mix and don't deliver in time so mm. it's always you know on the edge of your seats quite often <laughs> um but yes no it's uh, it's been going long I didn't realize it'd been going that long actually you know but um there's some great names on there I think also we used to, we used to kind of, you know, um, when we were traveling to gigs, you know, the driver would say, oh, you know, my friend's a DJ, have you heard, you know, this and uh, a music, he'd put a kind of mix on or something like that. And we always thought there should be some kind of avenue um, for these people to, you know, get their music out there. And I think the idea was born in, in the back of a car. Is that, um, I mean, we, we call it techno, but uh, I always use the name for the big whole electronic music genre just to say, well, it's electronic music, it's techno. But um, do you stay strictly to a faster beat or is it open to any kind of funky house um, no funky house is no. <laughs> <laughs> funky house no 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 not funky house no <laughs> no it is it's, I mean it's broad electronically speak yes mm -hmm. definitely you know we'd uh, we would you know have we'd have electro artists on there even down tempo more experimentals you know stuff that might appear on yeah, warp so but I think EDM to be fair stuff. the Yeah, yeah, the, the, the majority of it is probably what most people would consider within the mm. techno genre. One reason we meet up here all together in this constellation is the EP series Louder Than Chaos, like a five EPs co-produced with artists such as Rebecca, Hector Oaks 
or Amelie. Um, how did you choose the artist to work with? With Amelie, we had spoken about doing a collaboration beforehand. So um, this was a in the beginning, it was like another project that we decided to, you know, bring into this project. But the basic, fundamentally, the idea was brought together because um, all of a sudden we were thrown into this um, in an industry which is all about connection. Suddenly we've lost the connection. You know, there's no connection anymore. And, and, and that connection is is so important. It runs through everything that we do. So um, it was, you know, I just thought, you know, maybe we, we just thought that was a good way to, to, to somehow reconnect with artists and... Um, you know, make, bring people together, you know, and most of the artists that we, we work with, we, we have a connection with anyway, or we've seen it gigs or that kind of thing. So it was just, it just it was quite a natural process of selecting uh, who we were going to work with. It was like one of many projects that we kind of somehow we were discussing through this, this uh, time. Have you all been working remotely and sending tracks back and forth? Yeah, yeah. that's okay. how we did it. Yeah, mm. it just uh, Amelie would send the idea, we would send an idea back. Maybe it was you know like back and forward until we had yeah. we had the right thing. It was uh, yeah, it was completely remotely. Um, that's Thank kind of God for like WhatsApp and all these things. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know and. and Because that's kind of how me and Ord work. You know, we kind of, we don't all, but a lot of the time we just send out bounce ideas back and forward. So for us, it's quite, for us anyway, I don't know about you, Emily, but, you know, it, it was, um, it was, for us, it was a very easy process, I thought, working together. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Super easy, so mm. smooth. Yeah. But have you ever been to the summer studios, Emily? Or, uh... Yes. <laughs> and it was honestly one of the best days ever because it was the first day, uh, the first time I came to Glasgow. So my first gig ever actually was, uh, when they booked me, uh, pressure, it's called, right? Yeah. And then they invited me to the studio. Um, so I met the, the whole team and just, you know, to be there in the studio and see all these records. I was just, for me, it was so overwhelming. I got like a, a Soma goodie bag and like the hat. <laughs> I was like a kid, you know, I was so happy. It was honestly the best day. And just to see, you know, all the, all the records. And I also got some records, um, like the desk pressing and just, uh, yeah, incredible day. So good. Oh, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you made It was so also happy. the first time I ever went to a, um, like, a, a, how do you call it? Like an, a label office or, you know, how to, mm. yeah. so much history. You said in an interview, I just recently read that during lockdown, it was not very easy for you um, to produce because you need a certain energy to go into the studio with. Um, can you describe that a bit more thoroughly? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so basically, I I never really wanted to start to produce. I just, I love DJing um, and I just started producing because I felt I missed some stuff in my set. So I started first making some tools, you know, just some drum loops uh, for my sets. And this is kind of how I evolved into making actual tracks. But the main focus for me was always my sets. Um, and so I also make music for the clubs and for my sets. And so if I don't go clubbing and if I cannot play, then 
it's really hard for me to feel inspired and to go in the studio and make music because I, for me, it's really all about my sets. And if I cannot play, then I also don't really feel like making music. So this is also why I'm really, really grateful for the collaboration because it was really a bit of a push that I really needed because, of course, I work alone. And then if you can work with someone else, it's really like pushing. It was really pushing me um, yeah, so I'm super happy that I could do this. But in general, it's it's hard when you cannot test your tracks and you have to imagine being in, in a club, but you've been home for one year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so and you, Stuart and Order, do you work yeah, similar or do you have a total different approach to... A lot of the inspiration that come that we use for the kind of more upbeat things that we would play in our sets definitely come from something that's missing from the set or some from an urge to have this particular kind of vibe to, to play, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and they do start as tools, uh, you, you know, like loops. And then we kind of, we just tend to make a lot of loops actually. And then listen back to them, you know, another day and say, oh yeah, that one. I mean, I, I think it's really important not to get caught down in the, in the process of, uh, you know, having to finish everything. I think, Tracks will somehow finish themselves if they're, if they're the right ideas. They're so enough, we yeah. we try and we try and do as many ideas as possible, uh, and get down and then and then have perspective at a later date to come back and listen to them and you know without without feeling somehow the pressure on on, on having to finish them. But it's quite a natural thing. But but oddly during the whole lockdown thing, we probably made about six six EPs for Soma. Partly just Crazy. to release stuff on Soma, but also, I don't know, it just felt like even though we weren't, we didn't have that connection with the crowd or we weren't in that, that environment, we just felt, I don't know, some kind of protest about not being able to do it, we'll just make, and actually the tracks got harder and harder you know, <laughs> yeah. as, as time went on, you know, as like the longer they, they kept, they, no? they kept the, the clubs closed, the harder the music became, you know, so... <laughs> Um, just tried COVID away with, yeah. just yeah, like a with, with, but uh, really <laughs> <happened. laughs> so many like during the lockdown the BPMs went super high and like yeah yes exactly I mean there was a start I was I would say there was a start before COVID um, just within my friends um, bubble there are a couple of DJs that are so into hardcore and GABA and but it has become more and more it seems yeah. really, it seemed like they had to push themselves even harder to uh, I don't know maybe to escape from the reality <laughs> so. I think it's like the, the late the late 90s were doing this were going up mm -hmm. and up and up And then for us, like a lot of the time what we played, we played like a faster tempo and then everything came slowed down a little bit and, you know, in the 2000s. And then I can't give you a definitive I reason really to wonder, why. Uh, people, it suddenly went slow. Yeah, to why people want it faster. But this is something I noticed a, a, a lot from, you know, clubs, especially the ones in, you know, Berlin, like Grishmola, we played a few times. Uh, and it was like, you know, people were really experiencing that, uh, really enjoying the faster energy. Mm. I think there, come, there, come, there becomes a, a different headspace and a different energy. It's almost frantic that mm. uh, you see the crowd when they, they, they dance and, they, you know, they're like, you know, there's this frantic energy that, that, that you get when you go above maybe, say, 140 BPM. And then when you listen yeah. to things that, that, you, that you made like five years so ago, slow. you go, it sounds so slow, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you're like, 
I can't believe this sounds now so slow. You know, maybe it's the funky house category. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it's like it does. It's strange how that those energies change, and you know, I don't know why why that happens. I guess people get bored, and yeah, they they want some kind of change. They want to hear, you know, they want want it to sound fresh. And I think techno is such a broad church. It's you know, you still have people who make that, and I still love deep sonic techno as well i think everything has a has a place i mean all ki all kinds of um trends or fashions come back in circles i mean why not for the music and it's definitely um a big shout out to the 90s which is also in in fashion you know there's it's yeah. like the whole dressing is very 90s so the music i guess as well um amelie you did a lot of live streams um And I, I watched here and there, and you have a tiny audience, three cats, and now you also have a dog. Um, I really, I really love uh, your cats Or in the on background. My when I'm playing. <laughs> That's always fun. But how do you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they must love it because my cat chooses to sit on the vinyl yes. as well when it just lies on the floor like this. Um, Uh, how do you get the energy for that to put out so many live streams? I mean, this is, uh, there's a crowd missing yeah. to kind of, um, you know, escalate together. Well, when I do the camera. live streams at home, for me, it's super easy and feels very natural because I, especially like vinyl, I love it's. I find it really relaxing because when I'm touring, I always, I just play with USB because I like the workflow more, it's faster. But at home, I really enjoy to just play mm -hmm. records and it really relaxes me. Um, so to then just also stream it, it's super natural because I'm playing at home a lot. I just enjoy it. But the thing that I found really hard was to play in the empty clubs um, the live streams. So I did the one in a compass. Mm. It was actually the closing of the club on New Year's Eve and there was no one there. And it was truly emotional. Um, not in a great way, of course, because I was just, you know, in this incredible club with a huge sound system and they, they did all the lights and you're so into your sets. And then you look up and you're like, damn, it's New Year's Eve. And I'm in an empty club doing a live stream. Like, what? what is happening? You know, it's horrible in a way. Um, but I think, you know, I just think the people, they enjoyed it because, of course, people were at home also on New Year's Eve. So I think it was a nice thing for the people to enjoy a set anyway, uh, like a club energy. Um, yeah. And also the Awakenings live stream was the same because they did the full production. <laughs> so it was like this CO2, you know, like, and then you look up and you're like... It's an empty gas powder. It's uh, crazy. So this was hard. But the live streams at home, I could do it every week. I love it. It's just easy. I forget there is a camera. Yeah. I'm just at home with my cats, chilling, playing. Um, I, I find your approach to DJing quite interesting in general when everything is normal and you have a crowd. Because uh, you research artists from the cities where you're going to play at. Um, Can you give me an example and tell me also why you do that? I mean, as a DJ, I always saw myself more as part of the night. So I always really adapt a lot still now to whoever is playing before or after me because I just want for the crowd that, uh, you know, that I just blend in the night. <clears throat> And so when I just started um, touring, I was always so nervous what to play in what club and I just really love to, it's my favorite thing about what I do is to adapt to where I am. 
And so, of course, certain, I mean, for a lot of people, it's just techno music, but we know it's so broad, you know, it's so big. And depending on what city or country I play, some sounds just work better. This is really in the details of the track, like the groove, you know, some details um, that just really work better in some cities and countries than others. And there is really like some tracks that work really well in this country and not so much in this kind of club. And so for me, it was my favorite thing to do and just so interesting to really um, look for the resident artists, check their sets and just look yeah, just do some like research about the club and the artists who play there so that I can prepare as well as possible to play the best set possible for this specific crowd in this specific club in this country or mm -hmm. city. And, and another yeah. thing, and that's where Stuart and Order come back into the conversation, um, is, uh, Amelie, you convinced them to go into the crowd <laughs> um, to experience the rave amongst the ravers. So how was that? But I don't feel like I had to convince them. I just said like, okay, <laughs> let's go. Let's go dance in the crowd, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then suddenly I saw you dancing in the crowd next to me. It was amazing. It was raining. We're just like partying in the crowd, in the rain. I think it's incredible and so important because... Yeah. You know, we are partying always from the other side, but we have to give the energy to the people on the other side of us. And I think sometimes it's important to just blend in and go back to our roots mm -hmm. because I think we were all ravers, you know, at some point. And that's also why we do what we do. And I think it's really, for me, so important to go back to my roots and to feel again why I'm doing what I do. It gives me so much inspiration and I love it. It's the best um, Yeah, but they didn't need a lot of control. No, no, tell, no, no, you I'm tell done. me. Like, I'm, I'm, down, I'm down with that, easy. Uh, you know. um, yeah, it's just because, because we're um, organisers of the festival, it was really great to just see everything from the production and, you know, you know from that perspective. But, you know, I wouldn't say I... I go on the dance floor a lot I uh, you know but I've been known <laughs> throughout the years to to go and dance or you the same I always try you know yeah uh, I remember when we used to do the slam tent I always used to take a kind of walk around go up to the back yeah. of the tent and look at people and you know not sure I, I would have a little dance but uh, yeah always try and feel the atmosphere Of, of the party that you're doing. Because it's um, a completely different perspective from, yeah. from where you are to where they are. It's like, you know, where the crowd are, you know, it's like a completely different viewpoint and a completely different energy. Yeah. You know, because you're, you, 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 you know, as a DJ, you see the, the overall thing, uh, you know, and, and you, you, they, they're, you, you don't get that energy that comes from standing next to people. You don't get that. We also used to have a lot of visuals go on behind us in our clubs and at festivals and stuff like that. And it always used to, people used to ask, you know, oh, when did you see that? When that? And, you know, you, you, you're facing the wrong way, so you never see it. So it's just good to go and kind of experience mm -hmm. the festival, as Amelie says, from, from, you know, where you used to be. Mm. Do you still get the jitters before a gig or...? Oh, you yeah. know, I, yes. think, I honestly think that <laughs> when you lose that, you should give up or, 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 yeah. or you're just, because no, I mean, I get nervous before every single gig, every gig I'm nervous and, and like, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm in the hotel room, um, checking my playlists, 
you know, like, have I got the right vibes or, you know, have I got, you know, it's like every time before. I mean, I remember uh, the first actual gig back uh, after lockdown. It was, um, you know, in, in a, a festival in England and just thinking to myself, I'm, this is like my first time going back to DJ. This is like my first gig and it's at a festival and I'm really nervous now, you know, and I, I, that first, it just it reminded me of, of, of what it was like to, to do those early gigs and to do it and back in the beginning. It just it put it back. I mean, being nervous anyway, but being nervous when you haven't played in, you know, over a year, um, you know, can I still do this? They're good nerves, though. They're good nerves. Yeah, you know? I think it's, it's important that you have them, you know, for, for performing and, and just, you know, for for the whole drive of what you do during the week, you know, listening to music and and what have you, it's it's all part of a kind of bigger picture, you know. So as I think as Stuart alluded to, if you if you felt you were standing up there and you didn't have any nerves, I, I think something would be wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's a quite a natural thing. Do you have certain um, things you do before, or is there a time? Yeah, everybody develops rituals, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that they have. I mean, ours is. Uh, you know, usually arrive not so, not too early at the party, so we can't analyze too much. You yeah, know? I think mm-hmm. too much. I think is for us kind of works that we have the freshness of coming in. You know, Jack and Coke, go and play. You know, I think, and it's like almost like diving into a swimming cold swimming pool or something. It's just like you know. It's 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 not having too much time to deliberate. I think it works for us. I mean, other people other people like to go there like an hour before or whatever. But for us, it works. It works that best that way. Yeah, I also like to clear my head, which is not easy when you arrive at the party and everybody's in a great mood and they all mm-hmm. want to talk to you and have drinks. And I'm just like, yeah, don't talk to me. I'm trying to, you know. Um, yeah, so it's a bit hard. I also try not to go too early because, like I say, I adapt always a bit to my surroundings. But it's also important that I keep my own sounds, of course. And if I get there too early, sometimes I feel like I'm losing a bit my thing because I get a bit insecure. If you know, if you see too much of another set, you're like, oh, this is nice. Maybe I should also play more this or this. And then I just really lose myself a little bit because I start overthinking what I'm going to play. And so it's about finding the right balance, when to arrive, have one drink, not talk too much and just, you know, feel the energy of the crowds. And it's important to me to really feel the vibe. And it's hard when there is so many people who want to talk to you. And I just really want to get ready mentally Uh, for my set. Orde and, and Stuart, you play with six decks and two mixes, something Amelie um, admires, if I'm um, <laughs> if I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about that. Um, how did you start doing that? And uh, I mean, I can under- kind of understand why, but how does it work? And, and how did you come up with the idea? Well, I mean, we we kind of... I guess it stems back to when we used to be residents at the club. We would do our own sets. We would always consider ourselves as own our own DJ. But I think the reason we use two mixers is so we have somehow we have we each have control of of what we what we are doing within what we're doing. So we'll play 
I don't know, 10 minutes each, and then we'll kind of bounce back and forward. Sometimes we'll drop stuff over the top. But we, you know, my mixer goes into Ord's mixer. He's the he's the controller, <laughs> so he controls the volumes. Because <laughs> he doesn't trust me to control the volumes. <laughs> With good reason. With good reason. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a one-louder kind of guy. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it goes into the um, Ords mixer. And the reason for that is that so we can share the monitor feed, you know. Um, and there's hundreds, of, you know, not hundreds, but lo- almost every uh, sound technician says, I've um, set you up with two different monitor feeds. And we're like, no, we don't, that's not going to work for us because we need to have that singular monitor. We, we both need to be hearing exactly the same thing. So, yeah, it comes from that. But sometimes we get requests, so the DJ booth is not big enough for, for all the all all this equipment and blah blah blah. But um, I think the three the three decks thing as well is that sometimes we won't just yeah play a record as it is. We'll jump around in the record and yeah, we'll we'll layer layer loops over the top of stuff. So uh, that that's become really quite important having the three decks at least three decks. You know. Um, just it's almost like live remixing sometimes you know and you're using little bits and you're jumping around and and you need at least three to be able to do that and have things queued up and ready you know so we we both kind of you know uh, sign up to that type of kind of DJing and yeah uh, it's it's amazing how that has changed um coming from of course the 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 techniques, the record players, um, where, as Emily, you said before, it's quite relaxing because you can't play as fast. Um, the layering gets a bit more difficult, I guess, if you start playing with three or four. But all of a sudden it's digital and um, and I kind of feel the same. You you make a great mix, and but you think like, but... There could be there could be a more whoops, you know something <laughs> something else to be added and all of a sudden I, I find myself in my living room I'm like okay I just got two XDJs maybe I need a, th- a third one <laughs> um, it just really develops um, and and you get a bit more fidgety <laughs> about those things yeah and also I think that I don't like to play that long i don't I, I, I from my perspective i'll probably pay maximum two or three minutes of a track and then on to the next one it just i like the energy just has to keep flowing uh, and i think this works best with when you have three turntables you, mm-hmm. you can you, you can queue things up quicker and uh, you can just get the mix on and get the vibe on um and i think just to keep that energy flow going sometimes the tracks get really messy and noisy and sometimes you need to find a space to to to, to you know mix out with a loop or whatever you mm. know, oh, so. or jump over a, a seven minute break you know yeah there's a, so many yeah. records have got these enormous breaks in them yeah it's like you could go and have a cup of tea you know <laughs> <laughs> um, get so, back to me yeah, when the beat kicks in i'll be back i'll be back yeah it's like a you know, it's like those those little cue points are really interesting. You know, yes. just to skip through tracks and you know make breaks, get breaks a little shorter, and just keep the energy going. I think these the, the little cue points are, are are invaluable, and 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 it's strange because I I don't think that many people use them. I don't see that many people. To me, it's a great, it's a really use, useful tool because with vinyl. You could mark, you know, you could like, like you got this from the hip hop guys. They used to mark their records to, mm-hmm. to, to, to show where they would 
you know, the brakes into or the to, to mix yeah. from. And, and to me, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like having these definitive cue points that you can use within a set. Uh, it just makes it more exciting, I think, to bring it. Do you sometimes um, get, not not the fear, but it, everything is going so fast and um, is it tending to go faster and faster because we get so impatient, um, we can't even go through breaks anymore? Or is, is this just a phase no, also? <laughs> no, breaks are just getting longer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think people like to, to dance and I think the breaks, are like, uh, uh, they're useful, but uh, I think, you know, sometimes they're just too long. It's just personal taste, I, I think, you know. Um, but I think it's an interesting one because, it, you know, you could argue that people's attention span is now becoming less and less, you know, when you have things like Instagram where people just scroll and they go, ah, you know, it's like maybe maybe this has some kind of effect on how people think about music. But I don't know, for me, it's just about, it's just about keeping the energy up. And Also, because the issue is not, for me personally, not to have like one long break, but especially in my kind of sound where I play a, a little bit more like big room and the big, you know, is that all the tracks have a break, all of them. And so I sometimes I have to put the cue points at the end of the track and then I just play the end of the track or only the beginning of the track to just, you know, and I have to organize my tracks this way. I literally have a file um, with just loopy stuff to play over it so there is not constant breaks happening like yeah, every yeah, two minutes yeah. because I also mix every two minutes and then there is always... Yeah, that's I, a bit I the think thing it that just makes every, a good break every track and become less effective if there's totally yeah and and also I, I mean I use Ableton a lot now do you know what I mean for editing tracks taking mm. kind of you know uh, a track c cutting down a or chopping out bits I don't want so. I'd say a good kind of, you know, third to half the tracks I play, I've actually kind of edited myself, you know, just to to try and, you know, make it the way, uh, you know, I feel it should go. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, it's what, uh, what, what I do. It's great. <laughs> I totally understand. I mean, there are amazing tracks out where, for example, there is a... Uh, a vocal in it where I don't like the voice yeah. and just the, cut the vocal out. Yeah. This is common for me. Uh, just hearing a really, really nice track and... Um, and, the, and then the vocal goes, ah! Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's very handy that, that that can actually be done. But also yeah. personalises your set a little bit to... To mm -hmm. what other people would play or I guess well that that was a really good insight into DJ work I like that a lot and I um, I think a lot of listeners are into that because so many people became bedroom DJs over the COVID time so <laughs> there were some handy tips here yeah. um, I've had a couple of artists come back what was that version you played I, I, don't, I don't remember making that version <laughs> Me too. I played actually a, a track on Exit Festival and like the, the artist video, like 
screenshot um, the part from my live stream yeah, and he, yeah. he messaged me like, can you send me the edit you made of my track? And I was like, but I didn't edit it, but it's just like how, I mean, I edit it live you know, by yeah. looping it yeah. and adding some <laughs> snares and stuff. But like, and he wanted me to send the, <laughs> the edit of his track, but I don't have it. I'm like, it's live. Yeah. It was live so yeah. it's super interesting how also live you can, make totally new Jump things around, yeah. i think that's what djing has is become become more and more now is is the art of mm. making these tracks tell a story and make sense and you know somehow it's like a jigsaw puzzle fitting these things together and making it you know making it different um it, you know i think having the you know having the technology to, to, to move on and have facilitate more tracks, cue points quick, more quickly, all adds to the excitement and it all adds to the making things different, making it sound dead, you know. Oh, especially the new CDGs now. The yeah. 3000s. <laughs> yes, for me, it's like, because you can do so much more. Now I'm like... Yeah, super excited even more because there is so many options. It's like next level DJing. I'm so excited. Let's talk a bit about label work. Um, is that since you are all involved in it, is it something you chat about? Is that, uh, I don't know, hey, uh, Stuart or the Amelie texting here, I need an advice or vice versa? Is, or is that just uh, stuff you do? I, um Maybe not really with each other, I guess. Um, but like, I discussed it with like also the other artists actually on the label because with Lenska, we, we have a really small family. Mm -hmm. We are six artists. And so internal, we discuss um, like each other's tracks and we always ask for feedback and even some details about mix down and we just sent the track like, okay, which one is better? And this is really important for me to get a lot of feedback. But Not so much outside of the circle. Yeah, I think it's the same for us. I think you always have to... I mean, I think we, we were into the idea of running a label before we knew how to run a label, you know, and I think it's the same for most people. I think people just learn on the... You know, as things progress and as you go, you know, you... Um, as you go. You, you kind of pick up these things as, as time goes on. I mean, we have a good team at Soma which we meet with twice a week you know either online or in the office and you know we go through everything with them and you know it's 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 quite a smooth process now after well it should be after all this time you know but um yeah it's um <laughs> it's not something i mean you're always keeping an eye on what other labels are doing of course you're always looking to see What other labels? It's interesting to see how other other labels develop or other labels progress or come up with ideas and you know. Because you guys have been into the label business for such a long time, um, what is the main difference between beginning of the '90s? Okay, you know, ha having no clue, and now, but I mean, is it is everything just digital? Is there still records? Um, I don't I don't know if someone wants to, f um, yeah find a label these days yeah i think the big difference is that um is the vinyl aspect of what we used to, it, was, it used to it was all vinyl mm. uh and somehow with soma records at this point you know most things were selling more than three thousand copies on, on vinyl 
you know, which is which is a lot for vinyl now. You know, if you sold 3,000 vinyls now, it would be like, wow, I've sold 3,000 vinyls. That was your initial run, 3,000, mm. you know. And, 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 yeah, you'd be looking at doing possibly another 2,000, 3,000 on top of that, you know, even if it was mildly successful. So, um, yeah, uh, the vinyl thing, we, I mean, Soma still does vinyl, the occasional vinyl, but um, I think there's obviously discussions about the kind of, uh, what's the word, you know, the environmental impact of, of producing vinyl, which is, I think, is quite warranted, to be honest. But yes, I mean, the speed with which you can have something finished in the studio, mastered, and then, you know, up on kind of sales sites and what have you is 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 frightening you know you can turn around things really really quickly but um yeah as Stuart says we do kind of a and once once a week um so we're we're always on top of what's coming out but um you know with with the label we're usually I mean we can be anywhere between six and nine months ahead of ourselves you know with stuff that's coming in and we've got a sister label called Avoidant which is a an electro label and that's I mean that's full to 2023 now you know um so yeah it's we're always but we get sent so much stuff from people you know that sometimes it's it's a shame to let things go but you've only got so much room on the label from a DJing perspective you've really got to have some limitations in, sp- in place about what you you don't want to listen to you know and you have to unfortunately I think previously it was always within our nature to be checking everything, but I just don't think it's physically possible now to do that. I think you have to, you have to have these limitations somehow to, you know, you have to know what you like because there is so many, you know, tracks. Being but not used. to the point that you you're closing your ears to you know things that might surprise you. So it's a, it's a hard balancing act, you know. Um, but there are definitely kind of producers and labels that you you gravitate to straight away. You know, as Emily said, if if you get something from a label that you really like and you trust, you know, um, you, you you open it up straight away. Whereas other things, you know, you'll you'll take a kind of chance. But yeah, I mean, the volumes that are coming out, just the amount of promos we all must get sent is just ridiculous. You just don't have enough hours in the week to listen to it all. I think it's also a shame how many reminders they send because sometimes I open my mail, but we do it too with Lensco, of course. It's like just a promo tool doing it automatically. But sometimes I open my mail, I'm like, oh my God, I have 900 promo mails. So I imagine, okay, I have this many hours. So I go to it like, blah, 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 because you think you have 900 emails and then you went through... 600 maybe and then it starts reminder reminder and i'm like you know if you would have known yeah it's not 900 mails because half of them are reminders actually but it's like unnecessary because it just i think it stresses out the artist because you have three times more mails actually uh than you need yeah yeah totally yeah I, i just try and get into the habit of checking them like every day and kind of yeah, well, just I'll just spend like um, twenty really? minutes, half an hour every day, well, just kind yeah. of going through. Right, okay, and I'll, I, I, yeah, and it's and it's not easy to do that, but I kind of feel that if I do that, then it doesn't become such a task in the end. You know, like how to and, and listen to music should never be a task. You know, it should always be something you enjoy uh, the process, but 
when you have 900 emails that's kind of crazy it's quite, it's, 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 it's. no luckily not a day <laughs> but i enjoy way more to just look for music myself actually than opening the emails you know i can spend hours hours every day just going through bandcamp and just or like especially for me to go back to old catalogs, you know, um, of some of my favorite labels and just check all the old stuff and do this for hours rather than going through the promo mails. And it's like a record shop mentality. It's like being yes. stuck in a virtual record shop and you can just, you know, yes. go into the 90s section and kind of, you know, you can go in and you can, one thing leads to another, you know, and yeah. you just... This is the best. And I'm always doing that. I'm like, it takes me a while. I'm going, do you know, actually I'm playing quite a few tracks by this artist and then I'll just go and search everything else that artist has ever done, you know, and I'll find, like, great tracks, you know, from, from just doing that and then discovering, I guess, for me personally, I don't know about you, Art, but I kind of feel like it doesn't matter if the track's two years old, six months old or whatever. If You know, I just, I just that, that that's not important to me. Mm. It's important. It just fits with my vibe at, the, at that moment. As much as I like talking about music and technical stuff, I want to get into one certain topic. Um, Winter, Morris and Frank. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, I need to get you. them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love to see them. Um, it's uh, yeah, I I love that you're a cat person. That um, that is very close to my heart because I'm a cat person as well. I don't know how you guys order. Stuart. I have a dog. Okay. And I I, uh, <laughs> I, I we're, we're, me and Emily were doing the 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 collab when ourselves and Emily were doing the collab I had me I'd mentioned to to Emily about a cat I said like how are cats and how do you how do you keep them and like how you know when you go away because it was like you know I was thinking <laughs> maybe it's not fair to have a pet or something in the house when you're not when you're traveling so much you know yeah when you go away and you know but are we really Because I think people who work, um, like if you have a job, a normal job, like an office job, and you work maybe nine to five, five days a week, and then maybe on Saturday you have to go grocery shopping, this, 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 this. Like I am usually home or like because the studio is also in my in my home and the cats are always here. So from mm -hmm. Monday till Friday, I'm with the cats. Yeah, and the yeah, weekends, yeah. yeah, someone is staying in the house to take care of them. Um, so, but Yeah, well, that's good. Because it was definitely, I like dogs as well, you know, but it's so, definitely... So, so let me get this right, Stuart, you were pretending that you were going to get a cat. I was <laughs> Well, I was seriously thinking about getting a cat. Uh -huh. I was seriously uh -huh. thinking about getting pretending. a cat. Pretending. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a, a virtual cat. No, yes, uh, aye, maybe. Uh, one of these no, ones that does that, you know? <laughs> yeah, one of those lucky cats. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was, uh, I was, yeah, I was serious about getting. I was, I was actually serious about getting a pet during lockdown. Like a lot of people were, a lot of people, um, a lot of people did. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and even just the price of dogs, people were charging, you know, three thousand pounds plus for like a like a dog. You know, it was crazy prices. It seemed how somehow inflated during lockdown. Yeah. In Belgium, the shelters now are full. It's really, really that's sad. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. sad. Yeah, that's yeah. sad. And people don't want yeah. them anymore. It's really yeah. sad. It's really yeah. sad. 
you know, my dog's a very old dog, so he doesn't need too much kind of looking after, you know. He sleeps a lot. <laughs> but but cats and records, um, like I remember my best friend saying when my first cat moved in, I kind of adopted her from a friend who is super allergic to cats, but he didn't know that before. Um, uh, and he's like, oh, is she scratching your records? I'm like, no, she's 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 actually good. The, the little one yes. is the rescue. She just moved in five months ago. She does sometimes scratch uh, the outside of the records. She's, she's so. a hip hop cat. Yeah, no, I, I used to have a, a, a cat many years ago. And when I go into my studio now, I have all my records there. And you can see all the bottoms of the records have claw marks. Because she used to, yeah, yeah. she used to, wow. you know, along yeah. with the, the sofa and the curtains. And, no, no, still no, still when, it, it's not when the dog it's, came along. No, it's not that real dog. It's just me now. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to use you also like an animal advocate, I would say. Uh, you turned fully vegan uh, now. Yeah. Um, how does your rider look like? Is there a, a certain vegan wish list? <laughs> yes. Um, so, of course, my rider is yeah, vegan. Um, and actually, it's... It's a bit tough because, um, of course, before the lockdown, you're, I was always out. You know, you see, of course, so many people who are not vegan, of course, just like normal life. But then during the <clears throat> lockdown, I think I was a bit in my bubble of veganism uh, because also everyone around me are really, you know, they love animals and would not eat them. And so I was really like in my bubble of veganism. And so when lockdown was over, it was really hard for me to get back into real life and to understand, of course, most people are not vegan and there is meat everywhere um, and I could smell it again. And it was actually really hard. And also when I had an artist dinner, <clears throat> everybody around me was ordering meat and I was just sitting there and it was maybe two years ago that I saw or smelled meat from so close and it made me feel so bad. I actually wanted to run, <laughs> run away because I, it's so hard for me. And this is because of two years being in my happy, cruelty-free bubble. Vegan. Yes. But, but so. how do you deal with, with your cats? Because they are carnivore yeah. and I, I hate too. feeding my cats. It's just awful. <clears throat> yeah, me too. <laughs> so. But I think, you know, being vegan is, of course, not about being perfect, but just trying to, you know, cause like not cause harm when you have the choice. And unfortunately, we, yeah. with pets, you know, especially cats, they're obligatory carnivores. Like they would die if you mm -hmm. don't give them the food they need, of course. So, you know, it's not about being 100% perfect, but just trying to be as good yeah. where you can. Like if you have the choice, just choose the cruelty-free options. But the cats, you know, they need... One question... Um... I was going to ask you, Emily, about the about the um, the vegan thing. I find that if I'm trying to be good with food, which is quite often, I have these f fits and starts of trying to be at least healthy, um, especially when you're on the road. And I find that yeah, um, just that whole process between airports, hotels, it's really really difficult to find food which you know you can actually eat that isn't seriously unhealthy you know so yeah for sure but I think it's a lot of organization and especially for me you know 
eating plant-based, I have to organize myself even more. Mm -hmm. So what I eat and when I eat is like a huge process of my whole tour. Mm -hmm. So also my, for example, if I get my itinerary of the weekend, I have the menus already in there of the hotel um, my agents, they, they call to the hotels, like, what vegan options do you have? Yeah. And if there aren't any, they organize something. So it's way more organized. But at the end of the day, it's really good because I never end up being somewhere super hungry and not finding food and having to eat really bad food. Yeah, um, yeah that's smart. So, smart to do yeah. that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good thing. Like, I think I eat better now than I did before, because before you don't really think about your food. You're just like, yeah, I will see what there is or just have some fries or whatever. Uh, so this never really happens to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it can be quite challenging to not eat that kind of food in general. And I mean, by just, you know, you've had a couple of drinks and you've played and you feel it and you know you're you're not you're just no you've not you've slept two hours you know you're at the airport your body's you know there's like a little bubble just going burger 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 you know (laughs) it's like really difficult to resist that kind of food when you're when you're you haven't slept or whatever you know i feel but it works um I don't know how to say um, the opposite for your body, because if you're super tired, you shouldn't waste the little energy you have on um, digesting yeah, bad yeah. foods. Mm. You know, it would be way better to eat super something super healthy and keep your energy to get over the hangover or, you know, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. If, if I'm here and, you know, at home, I'm eating, you know, three, four times a day, but, but, but smaller portions of, of, of food I don't I'm not you know having three massive meals or big burgers and all that kind of stuff that, that just comes from lack of sleep I guess yeah. or, you know it's, it's kind of quite a hard thing to resist doesn't it when your when your mind's telling you that that's what your body's craving I guess every raver does understand that to like not only DJs, but if you have been out raving for quite some time and then the next day or right after the rave, you're like, okay, it needs to be fat and sugary and fat. And, 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 <laughs> and somebody, <laughs> some guy needs to be bringing it to your door. Exactly. But it turns out like a, a fresh soup or like a summer roll is so much better and it just pumps yeah. so much more energy into you. Mm-hmm. But tell tell that to your brain. No, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for sure, all the delivery things are super helpful. Like, you know, I was still in the, in the US and the hotel, um, because of COVID, they still did not have the breakfast buffet and they only had very limited options of food. And I was like, but then luckily, you know, you have like Uber Eats, Deliveroo, all these things and you can just order anything you want. They bring it to your room sometimes if you really give a good tip and you mention, yeah, please bring it, it to the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's amazing that we have this uh, option now. Since there was already a question from Stuart towards Amelie, Amelie, do you have like a question uh, for the guys? Ah, yeah, I was wondering if there is uh, any other genre that you guys uh, listen to besides, Funky of hand. course, techno. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 I knew it. Your yeah, guilty pleasure. Yeah. I, you know, not not funky house, but I really, I, I love. I kind of, I, I like disco or electronic disco. I'm kind of because because I kind of grew up with it. Um, 
you know, I can, it was on the radio a lot. Uh, and I was like 11 years old or something like that. I'd hear all this music, which which made me think that there was something going on in other places, like mainly in New York or whatever. You know, it gave me... But I was like, it was, my two fascinations were punk, post-punk, and disco somehow was kind of the two things that I listened to when I was a, when I was a kid. And I kind of feel that, you know, when I grew up, uh, you know, somehow that's combined into my love of techno just because I, because of the the punk thing and then the, the disco thing come, you know. So disco I, baby. I, hmm? You were a disco baby. Disco baby. Yeah. Studio 54 <laughs> baby. <laughs> you know, so no, I just, uh, yeah, I love that. I still love to hear those records. I just think there's like those energy. I, I don't, I think they're really well-made records and, you know, I love I love uh, I love that, but um, yeah, those I guess those two things, and sort of eighty synth pop. I love eighty synth pop as well for for similar reasons. You know, I like a lot of, like Depeche Mode and bands like that, and um, is you know New Order and Joy Division and. Well, it's a it's a perfect time for disliking because um, like artists like Curses and so on uh, producing like a, a neo disco wavy sound mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of that stuff out there yeah definitely i mean it's sort of like a lot of Ital the italian stuff and you know mm -hmm. those kind of things it's, um, it's 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 fun i think it's really fun I, like at the to, moment. I don't i don't find it um i like Sounds also i'm i'm a, a, a big love of mine is personally is um belgium new beat of course yeah you know i love belgium new beat and you know, um, like split second flesh, of course, stuff like that. I love like all the kind of slow, um, grungy electronic stuff that came out at that time. You know, it just has a a vibe. You know, it just has this vibe, and it, and in fact, there's like a really cool documentary that talks about this one seminal club in Belgium. The name I can't remember now, but it's really the Sound of Belgium. Sorry? No, it's called the Sound yeah, of Belgium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's this club yeah. and it's like all these people with like mullets and kind of crazy haircuts and crazy fashions and stuff like mid, you know, late 80s. And they're playing this music and this dark kind of music in this club. And I'm like, it's just it's just really fascinating. But I love that sound. I love that. Um, even now, I like to sort of sometimes throw a little mix of that stuff together. It's crazy that it's so huge in Belgium because of course I, I grew up here, but like even as a kid, I heard like techno and EBM and all this stuff on the radio because it was so, so big here. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's weird because some of these tracks, you know, like the, okay, I, I know I'm also a young artist, but younger than me, they play these tracks and sometimes I'm like, I heard this on the radio, like when I was a kid, every day, it was like yeah. a major hit, like, no, I, I cannot listen to it in like an underground club. It's so uh, weird, but... Um, yeah, we put out the guy, the Namasis stuff on, on the label, which is really reminiscent of, of that sort of sound. It's like, you know, maybe, I don't know, guess about 120 BPM, maybe even 110. less. Yeah, uh, just sort of ch chuggy. Maybe that's the next thing after this fast techno. If everybody's going to slow, that would be nice. Slow down again, you know? but uh, yeah, I love that. I, love, I just love it. I've got a fascination for it, and I, and I'm keeping. I'm always discovering like uh, you know older tracks that I, I didn't either buy at the time or kind of you know there's a there's a lot of tracks for me. It's kind of film soundtracks. I just find myself kind of drawn to film soundtracks. I had a track. Um, 
that I bought the the album for. It's um, oh gosh, what is it? It's um, what's her name? Johansson. She she did this where she was an alien and she drives around Glasgow. Have you ah, not seen this? What's it yeah, called? Yeah, I've seen that film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, oh gosh, what's but it called that's, again? That's the one. It's like Scarlett a Johansson is an alien and she drives around Glasgow in the west of Scotland. Um, and it's an alien in, in a female form seducing men and and taking them back to a spaceship and eating them, you know. But the, the music for that is, the music is just incredible. And, and you know, stuff like Sicario and Dune, uh, Interstellar, you know, just, uh, yeah, I'm always, my ears are always open to film soundtracks. Yeah, even the old ones are good, like the, I don't know, can't remember who did it, the guy, um, the Westworld, the, um, soundtrack yeah. from, yeah, from, yeah, from yeah. the seventies. It's really kind of proto electronic sort of sound, and it's you know weird, weird, um, just weird synth noises. Really, really, really interesting to listen to musically. Yeah, that it was almost there, like, fresh t- again. Tenet, the soundtrack to Tenet, it's done by a, a Swedish guy. Works in Hollywood now. Just amazing, honestly. The freedom you know that they're afforded. Um, with the sounds they can use and the structures and stuff like that, I really, really, yeah, always got my ears open for for soundtracks. It was very interesting sitting down with Amelie Lenz and Slam for this talk. If you enjoyed this conversation, jump onto Spotify or Apple or any other podcast platform and have a listen to some of the other episodes that we have online. If you are digging more Amelie content, well, I recommend our Electronic Beats channel on YouTube. There you will find a little feature on the Belgium DJ. That is it for today. This is the Telecom Electronic Beats podcast. My name is Casine Kühne. And I thank you for tuning in.